doing whatever we'd like. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> is that like the P.E. Herman word of the night? It's just we just go, allegedly. <laughs> I doubt it'll stick. I'm sure it'll pop up at least once more. I, oh, I never know which one. Oh, that's the worst way. <laughs> see, immediately see how much louder that got. Um, so let me start this episode by saying I'm here with Chief Keef himself. Where am I? <laughs> Help! <laughs> Usually you say it with me, but, but that's okay. Um, I I'm here, uh, and he uh, he gave me the thickest. Oh yeah, there's thief. there's a lot of I I actually inherited that grinder. I inherit almost every single one of my grinders. Um, wow, I think I've purchased one grinder in my lifetime. Do you, ever, it's like, do you ever, like, offer to give them back to the people you inherit yeah, them? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't work. Like, okay. no, I, uh, I'm not going to go through the story of what happened with this one, uh, just because there's no way of saying it in any type of polite manner. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. But, like, I, I got it, and I was all of a sudden like, okay, well, this is a big-ass grinder. Like, I'm not used to this, this size grinder. I'll give it a shot. And there's just so much, like, I don't know how it collects all that, but it, it's got to be because there's, like, more surface area. I would say your mesh, your mesh is probably wider. Yeah. And your, because your tray like, is huge. Yeah, the tray is absolutely So its huge. grinding capability is probably, like, tenfold. Yeah. Because it's just so much more room for shit to circulate. Well, I, I've definitely, I think I've gone through two ounces to get that, I think. Maybe a little bit less than that. Jesus Christ, really? Yeah. I've gone through, like, triple of that. My Pokeball has nothing. Yeah. I have a Pokeball grinder, by the way. For all the listeners, I have a Pokeball grinder. I choose you. Yours also... Pikachu. Does yours have a Keep Catcher? It does, actually. Okay. It, it, okay. Um, it's just circular. You know, you just... Yeah. You gotta take the actual unit out of the... In between two pieces. But anyway, um... So we're here... And we're smoking. It's been a while since we talked about that, but I feel like um, we're going to bounce pretty quickly into this shit because this is uh, episode 120. We've made it pretty fucking far. Yeah. It's been um, two years. You're almost at the two and a half mark, aren't you? You're like eight episodes away from the halfway mark. I would say, yeah, I would say May is probably halfway, which is a good a good point. So, um... We started around November, December, so six months from that would be a halfway point. And, uh... Uh, uh yeah, it'd be 130. Is 52, 52, and then 26. Yeah, it's a lot of math and a lot of words you just said. Yeah. So, <laughs> I cannot compute. Okay. So, I, uh, some things just leave me yeah, when I get high, and math is absolutely the first thing. And, and I did the math yeah. at the time, and I just remember it now. But I have, um, at minimum, 68 episodes planned. That's pretty good. That's nuts. Yeah, that's... That's close that's to... That's more epi- than another year. That's close to episode 200. Yeah. That is more than a year. You are correct. 
And it only grows when people tell me things. Like, some yeah. of the stories we're gonna read, you know, eventually, like, they're stuff people are telling me about, telling me to read, saying, yeah. hey, this is really great, we should read this. It almost becomes one of those, like, the more spheres of influence you have, the more it grows itself. Like, you don't have to grow it. It will grow naturally. Naturally. Which reminds me, big news, <clears throat> episode 120, big news... I'm going to say, give me five episodes, five weeks to get it figured out, because I get it this week. But I'm getting a fucking Elgato, and I'm going to start streaming. Well, maybe not streaming, but posting videos on, on the Lots of Pasta YouTube about me and maybe even me with someone who's been on the show um, playing through horror games. And, you know, I've talked to Django Phillips I've talked to Franz McBoohoo, uh, Sir Booberry. Um, they're all down to join me on like a let's play of even classic horror games, like going back to Silent Hill, Resident Evil, even to new shit like uh, Bendy and the Ink Machine, to fucking uh, Little Nightmares. Like uh, There are so many things I have planned, but I'm going to say give me a little bit of time and I'll say, like, in five weeks' time, I'll probably start posting stuff to the YouTube. So if you think the YouTube is just kind of where all this shit just ends up eventually, which is where what it is and has been yeah. for a while, it's going to turn into a multimedia thing. Yeah. Like, we are going to start doing LPLPs. <laughs> Lots of pasta Let's Plays. <laughs> like, we're going to start doing it. I'm going to start doing it. And I have so much shit planned already. Let me say, if you ever get to Castlevania, that, oh, fuck that's yeah. my shit. Fuck yeah. Which one? Uh, really, any Super, of them. Are you talking Super Nintendo, or are you talking, like... I mean, the the one that I put Sega. the most hours into is Symphony of the Night. On, uh, sure. Well, I did a lot of it on PS1 and PSP, I guess, or Vita. One of the sure. two. I had it as an emulator on one of the two. I don't remember which. Tell you so, what, I think Terry the Tickler actually owns Symphony of the Night. Yeah, I mean, so I would even have like a copy of it on hand that we could play. But yeah. absolutely, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, or, actually, I mean, I, I've played a couple others of them. Uh, there are certainly games in the series that I have not played, uh, and I'd be down for. Oh, whatever. I'm just saying, like, so yeah. far the most, I, the furthest I've thought back is like um, timeline wise is probably like. Bioshock. So anything past the 2000s That's is fair. like is like down. Yeah. I actually I was I was walking my dog yesterday and I was just like what in the 90s could I play? And you actually just like solved that because yeah. Castlevania is definitely something I could consider horror and oh, something that we can talk about Silent while Hill we play is, it. What you were saying no. That's like early yeah, like 90s, 90s into into the, it wasn't really I would say it wasn't really state stateswide and popular until the early 2000s. But fair. You know, I wasn't 7 years old talking about Silent Hill. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just because of our age. That, also that, a good possibility. That too. But anyway, I, w I just wanted to vaguely say like to anyone listening to this, if you like listening to our show, follow us on fucking YouTube because that's going to happen. But anyway, um getting back into shit. We're here to continue a series that we started, I would say, what was it, 116, four episodes ago? And um, it was really interesting, but I made a colossal fuck-up while we were recording, and I wanted to account for that fuck-up. And the fuck-up is that 
I mixed up two sources that I later, when listening and editing the episode, said, that doesn't sound right, and did the research because I had the time to do the research Mm -hmm. to realize how I was wrong. And I mentioned um, two different stories. One of them was Something Wicked This Way Comes, and the other one was Storm of the Century. And Storm of the Century is by Stephen King, and Something Wicked This Way Comes is by Ray Bradbury. So when you look at the two sources separately now, I think I mixed them up or I said Stephen King wrote Something Wicked This Way Comes. I wanted to clarify and then go back and say I have watched both of those adaptations in between our first episode and this episode, and I can without a doubt say that this is closer in source to Storm of the Century, an idea. Um, it's very, it's so much more Storm of the Century Stephen King esque mm-hmm. than it is Something Wicked This Way Comes. Um, Something Wicked This Way Comes is kind of a coming of age story about uh, kids and a carnival that comes to town, and then the oh. carnival's just fucked up. Yeah. So it's just like. That's not so much what's going on, and I think Ray Bradbury did Fahrenheit 451. Yes, he did. So he, uh, so he's like a little bit more classier and old school. Yeah, and you know it, it shows because he's, it's a he's timely. A, yeah, piece. he's an older writer. I think he, he was like 50s or 60s, right? Yeah, or or was it later? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm I might be wrong on that. But anyway, I didn't do that research. I did research about the movies because that's what I was sourcing, and um. Storm of the Century was a four-part mini-series based off of a short story that Stephen King did, and I watched, like, all four hours of it. And it wasn't great, but I will say that the story that we are reading is so much closer to that in theory. Um, It's not that there's a big storm going on, at least not physically, but at least in in the theme of the story... There's a lot going on with all of these characters' lives. And yeah. it all seems to kind of rotate around this... Um, and I name-dropped him a bunch uh, last episode, but he's pretty much like the Stephen King character. Um, this evil kind of uh, smiling man that just shows up in yeah. weird situations. And he's... Uh, he reminds me a lot of Randall Flagg for any Stephen King fans. He's the main bad guy of The Stand, uh, Stephen King's longest book ever made. And um, it's just this character of chaos. He exists purely to cause chaos amongst our tiny human lives. And Storm of the Century has a character like that who just kind of strolls up into the church and tells everyone that they're going to hell because they're humans. And that, like, literally happened in our first episode. Like, the guy strolls up to the fucking priest while he's giving a fucking sermon, and he's just like, you have cancer now. And the priest, like, starts to, like, die on the spot. So it's just like, so much has happened, but really, what I wanted to conclude with... But really, how much can we, like, quantify for? Like, it's not that we can recap all the letters thus far that have happened. It's kind of just, like, a series of things have unfolded with this town. Like, the one neighbor is... is, The 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 one neighbor killed the kid of the other neighbor. They live next to a mortuary. Yeah. um, A funeral home. Um, But they also... 
live next to like a mental hospital. That's that's really it. There there uh, there was a weird murder at a dentist's office. Uh, the police in the town are kind of drunkards. You know, like you're learning a little bit each letter, yeah. but you're not learning enough to kind of say this is a yeah this like, is a thing. The the introduction has been very broken. Yeah, um, it's definitely in like non-linear yeah, storytelling. It, it almost reminds me of uh, like in that '70s show when they like hop around to the different people and yeah. they're not always talking to each other. Like yeah. sometimes you're getting like cross table stuff. Yeah, it it is almost um, it's Pulp Fiction esque. Yeah, and it's like non-linear storytelling because the one thing you know our our D took place before. B, you know, mm-hmm. like there was there was weird stuff going on, but anyway, um, we got A through F. Go back and listen to episode one sixteen if you want uh, before this one because it's just gonna help bring it all together. But at the same time, we also can't spend time doing like a recap like we did for uh, Left Right Game. There isn't so much a plot or a narrative. It's kind yeah. of like an experience reading all of these stories together. I'm hoping by the time we get to Z, we can make sense of all of it. <laughs> but as yeah. of right now, it's told non-linearly on purpose yeah. to preserve some quality of the story. There is a percentage of me that feels like if I can't explain it all by Z, I don't want to get that far. <laughs> but we're gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I think it's gonna, we're gonna care less by the time it gets there to yeah. say there's no way they're gonna pull this together. There's no, it's not, it's gonna continue not making sense. It, it'll end up like a Shyamalama <laughs> ding dong. <laughs> it'll go from Stephen King to M. Night Shyamalan in the worst fucking way. Yeah. Um, that's, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, it's, uh, I want it to be Storm of the Century, but it could end up being The Happening. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) So, um, so online, I don't know if, like, I know I could say that I got this series from No Sleep, from Reddit No Sleep, but... I think each story is what we're saying at the beginning. So I think, like, if you want to start, you, you're going to want to start the series with A is for Alzheimer's, but we're on G is for Gremlin. A 61 Eldorado, red with white interior, housing a 426 CU in V8, pushing all those pretty horses to white wall tires wrapped around some clean chrome rims. That's what should be in this garage. Not some rusted AMC hatchback that was put together by a design team just competent enough to make every angle displeasing to the average eye. Four mismatched tires, drooping and worn, cling to life around brown 15-inch rims. The car sits so low to the ground that the front fender, if that's even what it's considered, since it's just a plastic flap, grinds atop not only speed bumps, but any bump in the road higher than about two inches. Uh, It was originally white, but one of the hundred or so owners along the way painted it black. So now it looks like a miniature hearse, which is fitting, I guess, given where it's parked. If you ignore the big hearse, the little hearse, the stack of economy coffins, and whatever the fuck that is growling at me from the corner, this garage would be just like every other two-car rectangular box on this street. We've got electric door openers, though only one currently works, 
ceiling racks for bicycles we never ride, a refrigerator full of cheap beer that I was trying to empty 12 ounces at a time before I was cornered behind the 1977 AMC shit bucket. God, I brought the caddy. I had the option. I mean, the car itself wasn't an option, but I had an option. I could marry the mysterious girl with the perfect ass, or live out bachelorhood drinking cheap beer and driving around in a bright red convertible. God, I wish I bought the caddy. And now, well, what the fuck? And, and, now, and now, well, now, now. now I'm bleeding out between the big hearse that came with her job and the little hearse that came with our wedding. Her dad did a little work on the side, uh, a little, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Eh. Uh, business Talk transaction. Scratch. <laughs> <laughs> For some joker 20 years before I said I do. And this jackrabbit decides to gift us his beloved car for our wedding as a present. Whatever happened to toaster ovens and timeshares? I wonder what John would have given us if old Popple Reynolds did a bit more than change a handful of CODs. I knew one thing for sure. If I hadn't married her, I wouldn't be sitting in my boxers on a concrete floor Drinking warm remains of what is probably my last beer ever. This, this guy's, like, death monologue is so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's uh, a light beer. <laughs> Seriously, I should have bought that damn caddy. What's the last thing I said to her? I know it wasn't, have a good day at work. Because for her to have a good day... That means a lot of people have to die. Uh, and I'm just not that into profit, I guess. I should be sad, right? Like, I should be thinking of all the happy times we had. The dancing, the vacations, the parties, and all the other stuff that never happened. So this is the husband of the funeral home owner that we met in C is for Cremation. Uh, sh she has a worker who got locked in the morgue and freaked, freaked out. Oh, yeah, yeah. He um, read that one. Yeah. So anyway, this is the husband, and he's dying in the garage, probably at the same time that that girl is freaking out in the morgue. Fair <laughs> enough. Anyway. Um, that, that's actually what I was contemplating, is like, what's the time frame on this? Oh, um, time frame? I'm not sure yet. Because yeah, like, obviously something happened to him, and it's probably going to be explained in another story. Yeah. But there was a lot that wasn't answered in C for Cremation, like a lot of noises and smells and shit. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm hoping it wraps around. Well, my like, my thought process is this could potentially be, like, 30-some years ago, right? Oh. Like, this could be, like, part of... Well, he is talking about when he was a kid. I just yeah. think what he's dying is probably relevant to the story. Yeah. Like... It's moving again, slinking along the back wall like I can't see it glowing in the light of the open fridge door. I don't get the whole stalk your prey in this scenario. I'm obviously unarmed. Hell, I'm not even wearing pants. My only weapon is an empty beer can. Unless this thing plans on giving me a refill, I think I'll hold on to it. Thank you very much. It's not like crumpled aluminum is going to do much damage on something like that. Was that its fingernails or some weapon? Why did it smell like smoke? It's because I'm smoking weed. 
smoke, like literally billowing. <laughs> yeah, they're they're. Uh, Sorry. Uh, I lose sight of it. It's weed. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I lose sight of it for a minute as I swallow down the last of my beer, and then something drops on the other side of the big hearse. A wet bag slapping on the concrete. There's a whimper, a gargling howl, and then silence again. I consider being scared, but I think I'm either too blitzed or too dead already to care. I look at the empty can in my hand. Ah, hell. Might as well give it a shot. I toss the can over my shoulder like it's a grenade from a bunker and plug my ears. It clinks on the floor and the laughter hurts my stomach. Something loose and ropey falls from the gash along my midsection and my laughing stops. I have to scoop up the rope with my left hand and try to gently push it back in. This intestines. <laughs> this hurts much worse than I'd like it to. But you know, what are you gonna do? I can't stop laughing now. It's hilarious. <laughs> like I was like getting really into it and then I was just like, what? Why even put it back in? <laughs> like, like at that oh, shit. <laughs> at, at that point, like, oh, shit. Like, oh, go, yeah, go for another beer. <laughs> <laughs> My fault for laughing in the first place, I guess. Once everything is back in, or at least not falling out into my lap, I hold the cut closed with my fingers. <laughs> Pinching it along the edges until the skin turns white. My head starts to swim. Am I drunk? Or is this the end? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, probably. There's a familiar sound from beneath the little hearse, and I try to crane my neck and look through the ugly glass trapezoids some egghead in Detroit, in Detroit thought would be a good window. Cold metal comes to rest against my lower back fish around with my free hand and find the perspiring cylinder. Beer? Maybe dying won't be so bad. I rub my thumb across the label, removing the frost and leaving a trail of blood. Light beer. Never mind. There's another flash of movement, this time cutting across the two cars by the garage door. It's dragging something now. Sounds like someone kicking a raw Thanksgiving turkey across the floor. Thanksgiving? Shit. Football? Double shit. Talk about bad timing. I put the cans back in and am sprayed with white frothy overflow. Beer pours down my chest and mixes into my wound. Maybe I'll get drunk <laughs> faster now that I don't have much blood. I smile. That's why she married me. This smile. When other guys turned green after their first visit to her house, I smiled all the way through dinner. When her previous fiance had backed out when she admitted liking the work, I smiled when she told me. I smiled when I moved in. I smiled this morning when I woke up next to her. I smile when I nurse hangovers in the kitchen and I can smell the formaldehyde on her clothes. I smile. Maybe I just smiled at her when she left today. Maybe I didn't say anything at all. Stop it. Sappy. No reason to get all mopey now. It is what it is. I sip from the can. Should I thank the thing that killed me for giving me a beer? 
I'm pretty sure there's a precedent for this. Like, didn't Vikings drink and kill and drink some more? Am I a Viking? My beer gut says otherwise, but even that's deflating now. It's also turning gray. I wonder if Anita can trim that down for the funeral. A little post-mortem tummy tuck. This guy is way too into death. I mean, uh, he lives in a, in a morgue, but uh, there's a howl to my left. The garage door shutters as if something just ran headfirst into it. And then another long, frustrated whimper. I want to tell it to push the button, but I decide that it may be better to spend my last few minutes focusing on myself and not that thing. I gulp down half the beer. My boxers are sticking to my legs. The blood is pooled and soaked through the cotton. Dignity is not something that I'm going to die with today. Oh well, it's not like I drive an El Dorado. Uh, I bang the back of my head against the side of the AMC for emphasis. And the thin metal doorframe nearly crumples. Maybe I should ask her to bury me in this car. It almost seems fitting. There's moisture on my forehead now. Droplets of warm liquid fall down my face. The car sways behind me, and I look up towards the ceiling. The thing is crouched on the roof of the tiny hearse. Fingers grip the top of the window for stability, and its knees jut out over the long toes. Paint purple chips off a few of the toes, providing the only color besides the complete charred blackness of the thing's skin. It's dangling something over me. A long, wet rope, like the one that fell out of my stomach. Attached to the bottom is a wreathing mass of red and black. Suddenly I'm sad Anita and I never had kids. She wanted to, but I didn't. And then by the time I came around, it was too late. I suggested we adopt one, and she said no. She couldn't love anything that didn't come from her. I asked what about me, and she just shrugged and walked away. I take another gulp from my beer, and the thing on top of the tiny hearse slaps me upside in the head. Apparently, it's not a big fan of reminiscing. It dangles the corded meat in front of my face and grunts. I feel the side of my head and the five waltz that grow in a hand pattern. I look up again, and two white eyes stand out on a black matte face. They're softer than what I expected. Almost apologetic. Another grunt, and then a light rectangular tool is dropped in my lap. A box opener. There's blood lining the blade. Does it want me to slit my wrists? Because it might be disappointing when all that comes out is watered-down Pilsner? It shakes the dangling package again. A tiny limb flops out of the folded mass. Clarity breaks through for the briefest of seconds, and with one swipe, I cut the cord. The little package of wreathing limbs falls into my lap, and mixes with the blood softly trickling through my open wound. I look up, but the thing is gone. My vision is blurred. I can feel myself falling asleep, like being in my recliner, post-Thanksgiving, turkey binge, with the cowboys on TV. My eyes shut as my chin rests on my chest. My fingers relax around the wound, and I wonder what Anita will think of our new daughter. I slip into the ether. Minutes or hours later, 
the garage door is triggered from the outside. There is a loud shriek from the thing somewhere to my right. My legs are numb, but I can sense the little package has been taken from my lap. The door sticks halfway up where the thing knocked it off its track. I hear a car door close outside and footsteps walking away. A dog barks in the distance. My eyes start to close again. I'm slumped up against the 77 AMC with a box cutter in one hand and my intestines in the other. I remember what I said to my wife as she left this morning. You make me happy. I smile. That was, uh, that was interesting. Yeah. I, I can see it as almost like a short film, you know, like a Shakespearean monologue that happens as someone is literally dying in their garage. Like, it, um, it hits, like, all of the right emotions to make a good sequence it kinda, of, it, it, of death. It, uh, it, it almost pulls you up and down. Yeah. Like, you know, he's saying the dumb things about, like, the, you know, the, the beer and, yeah. yeah. Then he starts talking about the intestines and you're, like, kind of twisted and then you all of a sudden get back into it because you're like, oh, yeah, he's, like... He's fucking he's dying. Trying, he's trying to d- distract himself yeah. from dying. Oh, it's interesting. Um, I liked it a lot. I don't know where it fits in the timeline. I just know that something... Yeah. There's, there's been something monstrous going on. Um, what was... There was something in the doghouse that said, be quiet or you'll wake the baby or something like that. And, um, and we never quite got the explanation of what that thing was. And... In this one, there's a weird little monster, a gremlin of sorts, that has killed him. Has attacked. I mean, theoretically, like, he's not dead right now. Theoretically. Theoretically, he's not. You know, You're like... Right. Although, Someone like, came home and found him. He was awake enough to, to sense that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it, it's it's interesting, but I still don't know where it fits alongside the rest of the, the stories. Yeah. I, I'm not sure... Yeah, because my initial thought, and I like... It is the funeral home from C, though. Yeah, m- my initial thought is, this is the person that's haunting everyone. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't agree with that, having gotten into the story a little bit more, but like, that was, you know, when I, when the, the opening scene, he's dying... He's in the funeral homes. He's dying. I'm like, okay, this how you know my my headspace is. This happened 40 years ago, huh. um, and this has something to do with the brothers. Um, and now this this place is haunted. Sure, that's why why all this is happening. Sure, and it could you yeah. know for for all for all intents and purposes. Yeah, it could go in, either a, way. In, a, in a theoretical sense, uh, I do think that it sounds like it's more. Um, in, in the timeline the of the story. Yeah. Um, Anita Reynolds, I think, was seen in the church. Yeah. From, from E is for Ezekiel. And she wasn't with a husband, though. She might have been. Okay. She might have been. Um, yeah, I can't remember to say yes or no. I just remember the Reynolds were yeah. mentioned. And I know that the worker in C is for Cremation said. Anita owns the funeral home, and it's just her because no one else is old. She didn't have kids, and, you know... Yeah? It, it's not going to be 
the Reynolds funeral home for much longer. You know, it's going to turn into whatever they make it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's been in their name for so long, but she didn't have any kids. So, you know, it fits in the timeline, but, you know, when does the husband die? Yeah. You know, maybe uh, maybe Efer Ezekiel happened, you know, maybe it was the first thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe the guy strolls into town and the first thing he does on fucking Holy Sunday is walk right in and, you know, start fucking around with everything. I think that's extremely accurate. Um, the bar one, too. The bar, I got the impression that... The um, bar one was, like, the bar first one couple was days. Like, yeah, like, like, he had just gotten there and already killed, like, three people. Yeah. Um, anyway, next one is H. And this is H is for humorous. And do you think it's going to be... Uh, do you think they're talking about funny, or do you think they're talking about, like, bones? So when I, I... I didn't quite put together as I was reading that it was... Uh, the next story. Yeah, the next thing until, like... Because I read, like, half a line ahead um, just to, like, understand what's about to happen. So that's kind of... I, like, saw that, and I was like, how am I... Per- like, what, what, what's going on? Yeah, I was like... Humorous. And then it, like, clicked. Yeah. But at first I was like, he's got to be talking about his leg. Oh, he's like saying, oh, humorous, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I marked it better, but I, I really didn't. It's pretty easy to mistake those. Um, anyway, this one's called Humorous. Can I see it? No. I say and turn sideways on the bench. She's pouting now. If it's even really a pout, I mean, she's freaking smiling at the same time. She knows I can't hold out much longer. Oh. Especially when she wears that shirt. Please. She leans forward and puts both hands on my thighs. One, two. Whoo! Cleavage pokes out from the tight flannel shirt, whose top third she's conveniently left unbuttoned. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me at work today. I try not to look fail, force myself to look away, and then immediately look again. (laughs) Tits, no. Tits. She catches me and the pout spreads to a full-blown smile, damn it. My ruse is falling through. She knows I saw the tits. Fine, I say and slowly turn back towards her. Her hand slides up my thighs and entangles in my stomach and my dick. And then she quickly pulls them away to cover her blushing face. (laughs) You give in too easy, Chad. She giggles and buttons two buttons on her shirt. Fuck! I was fully prepared to go all the way. Now I'm blushing. Not that all the way. God. She playfully slaps my arm and then immediately regrets it. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I hurt it? Wait, what the fuck? I was going to go all the way. Not that all the way. What other all the way is there? She meant it. And then she was like, no, I don't. (laughs) No. I lie. It's fine. My left arm is clutched to my chest. I use it. I use my right to prop it up. Tara dips her head to the side, trying to get a better look. It doesn't hurt anymore, I swear. I shift on the bench. The wood is digging into my ass, and I wince. Tara notices. Liar. She says softly and reaches out a timid hand to touch my arm. Do you think it's broken? Yes, I want to say. No. She pokes me gently and I try not to cry out. And it happens when you're sleeping? Yeah. I say, trying not to think about the dreams. I mean, 
I think so. I go to bed healthy and wake up, uh, not so healthy, I guess. Is it, his arm isn't actually broken, is it? I think it is. Did she break it? No, no. He He's okay. explaining that he wakes up with fucking broken shit sometimes. Did you tell your parents? I wince for a totally different reason. Oh, God, she says. I'm so sorry. Parent, did you tell your parent, your mom, I mean? She puts a hand on my leg. Ooh, I'm sorry. You've said that a lot. I try to joke. She acts like she's going to slap me again, smiles, that wonderful smile, and then places her hand back on my leg. I'm sorry about your dad, Chad. I'm sorry about your arm. I'm sorry about your wrist last month and your foot the month before that. She leans in to kiss me. I'm sorry about your shoulder and your hand. She closes her eyes. And I'm sorry about... His face! (laughs) A voice yells from the bottom of the hill behind us. Don't forget to apologize for that mess! Shut up, Derek! (laughs) I yell over my shoulder. Can't you see we're trying to have a moment here? Derek makes a farting sound and cackles. <laughs> Can you make a better farting sound than me? <laughs> and cack- cackles. <laughs> Moments over, Tara says. She opens her eyes and kisses the tip of my nose. Oh, and for the record, I like your face. Even if it is a bit lopsided. <laughs> lopsided! I feign disgust and try to cover my face. But the pain rips through my arm. Tara's smile falters for a second, and then recovers. So how many fucking bones is this guy broken in his sleep? <laughs> Evidently this, a lot. This is not, this is no longer normal. Evidently and a lot. You should have like fucking uh, rails on your bed or some shit. I've, I've now understood that his father has recently died, and he's trying not to make a, a big scene after his father's death. People might think he's taking it out on himself. He might, he might be afraid of the outcome of explaining it to people. I don't know. I don't know. He might be in a weird spot. But if he's saying that it's all sleep-based, it's preventable. Is it? You put fucking rails on the bed. I'm saying this is a story. Who's to say it's not supernatural? You know, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, fair enough. This guy's enough. fucking appearing in his dreams at night. Yeah. And torturing him, you know. Also fair. You ready? Derek asks. He has climbed the hill and now stands behind me. Yep, says Tara. She pulls a camera from a bag stashed under the bench and slings it around her neck. I try to stand up, but Derek puts a gentle hand on my good shoulder. Not you, pal. You're going to sit this one out. But I try to protest. Derek takes a knee beside me. Listen, dude. We've got to get in and out of old man McLaren's before he gets home, and I know you're fast. You run the 40 in like 4.9, right? 4.6? I corrected him. 4.6. Maybe with the wind at your back. He winks. But with that busted wing, you're going to slow us down, and we can't be slowed down today. You with me? I don't want to, but I nod. Plus, we've got the big rivalry game in three weeks, and I can't have my best receiver on the sidelines because you didn't rest up. Fine. I say and wiggle myself into a more comfortable position on the bench. I'll be your lookout. If anything happens, I'll make a bird sound or something. Can you make a bird sound? Tara asks with a smile. I try to whistle, but just blow air. (laughs) How about just a yell instead? Okay, fine. Yeah, yelling it is. 
They both turn to head down the hill. And I'm only agreeing to be lookout because I want to kick Crestwater's ass. I shouted after them. Derek stops about halfway down the hill and turns back towards me. He's wearing an ornery grin. You gonna ask her? Dude, come on, not cool, I say. Tara looks at both of us and raises an eyebrow. Ask me what? Nothing, I say. Have fun breaking and entering. I try to wave, but it hurts, so I stop. Wait, was Derek the kid killed in B is for breaking? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Which now means that there was a girl in the house, too. Is what we're learning right now. When when he died? When he died, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, we haven't yeah. finished the story yet, yeah. but, you know. Have fun breaking and entering. I try to wave, but it hurts, so I stop. Ask me what, Chad? Tara starts her infamous pout again. Crap. He wants to take you to homecoming dance, Derek says. Derek, dude, seriously, not cool. I shout. Okay, Sarah, says Tara. I said, Sarah Tez. <laughs> That's what I was prepared to say. The pout has been re- replaced by that smile again. I feel myself turn red, okay? Okay, as in you will? Of course, Chad. She turns on a heel and practically struts down the hill towards the rundown cabin. Just keep an eye on me today so I'm not in jail that weekend. I can do that. I nod enthusiastically, even though she can't see me. Almost sounds like foreshadowing. Try not to stare at my ass like that when I walk away, lover boy. Derek says with a <laughs> laugh and trots off after Tara. I won't. I yell after him. My eyes never leave Tara until she disappears beneath the shadow of the cabin. The cabin is an old A-frame tucked into the valley beneath a grove of ancient trees about three miles outside of town. It's more of a rundown shanty than an actual cabin, but since no one my age uses the word shanty, cabin it is. For as long as I've been alive, Mr. McLaren has lived there, but that's only 17 years and the dude's at least 100, so I'm sure he's been here for much, much longer. The grass has never been cut and stands about knee-high. Three trees encircle the house, half their branches dead and scraping the roof like brown skeleton arms. A dangerously slanted porch clings to the house's frame, and three crooked stairs lead up to a front door that hangs off of one rusted hinge. Outside the grove, the sun shines, but inside the canopy, the trees only allow a few weak rays to reach the house. Out of inky shadows, Derek appears and hoists himself up onto the porch, avoiding the stairs and using an ivy-covered railing for support. He leans back and offers a hand as Tara works her way up the stairs. They pause at the door. Derek leans his ear forward, pauses, and then nods to Tara. She looks back towards the hill and waves. I smile as butterflies twist knots in my stomach. Oh, that bitch. I lose sight of them as they go inside. Five windows line the front of the house, four on the first floor and a small one in the attic at the peak of the A. I watch the two windows on either side of the door, hoping for a glimpse of their shadows. A car crests the hill behind me, and I hold my breath as it passes, hoping it won't turn off and go towards the cabin. The rusted black hatchback continues its course north, the guy behind the wheel waving as he goes. I exhale and look back to the house to... 
black shadows stand in front of the far left window. Wait, a black hatchback? That was literally the guy who just died. MG for Gremlin. No, that was. He said he was drove a, a black. He said he drove a black AMC hatchback. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah, pretty sure. Pretty sure. And he was a nice guy, you know. So he was waving. Anyway, connections. They will all appear next year in Marvel's Avengers: Infinity War. Anyway, there's a flash of light, and then they disappear. A second later, they reappear in the left window closest to the door. There's another flash of light, and they disappear again. Come on, I urge them. Take the pictures and get out. A moment passes, and the shadows fill the far right window on the opposite side of the house. There's a flash of light, and for the briefest of seconds, I think I see movement in the upstairs attic. I stare at the small window for a full minute and then look back to my friends. Nothing there, I think. It was probably just... A bird or something. It wasn't a bird. Now Derek and Tara stand in front of the right window closest to the door, their shadows filling up most of the frame. They lean in towards each other like they're talking, and then there's a flash of light. The two of them shift, and then another flash, shift again, another flash, shift again, and... There's a third shadow in the room next to them. Another flash, I blink and look again. Nothing. Derek and Tara turn again, and there is definitely another shadow in that window, another flash. There's someone there, I scream. There's a face at the first window. Tara is peering through, her hands cupped to either side of her head. There's someone there, I scream again. Get out! I try to wave, but the pain makes my head spin. Tara shakes her head like she can't understand me. Derek taps her on the shoulder and she turns away from the window, reducing her to another shadow in the dilapidated house. You have to get out of there! I try yelling again. There's a flash of light and my eyes dart to the far right window. Nothing. It's empty. My heart starts to slow. Another flash of light and now there are three shadows in that room. My head spins. My throat tightens. I go to stand but forget about my arm and try using it to push off the bench and the pain crumples me to my knees. I gasp for air and try to scream. The only thing that comes out is Tara's name, and it's swallowed up by the dirt between my knees. I look up from the ground. White-hot pain shoots up my arm and through my neck. There are three people in front of me. Tara and Derek are sprinting up the hill. Tara is crying, and Derek's face is pinched down into sheer horror. Behind them, in the attic, a third person, a girl, bangs on the window. Get up, Chad! We gotta go! Derek screams from 15 feet away. I ignore him. I can't stop staring out the window. Chad! He's in front of me, now shaking my shoulders. Chad, we gotta go! The pain rips me back to the present. I look at him. He's crying now, too. Stop it, D. You're hurting me. I look back to the window. She's gone. I'm sorry, buddy, but we have to go! He's nearly composed now, but one tear has broken free from the corner of his eye. Tara weeps into her hands. Her flannel short is torn. Where's your camera? I ask, but Tara cries harder. It took it, Derek says and helps me to my feet. It? It! Man, I don't know what it was. A person, maybe? Ripped the camera off her before we could even really see it. Help me out of this, I say and start pulling off my sweatshirt. Why? Because she's going to get cold, dude. 
We manage to pull the sweatshirt up over my head and gingerly remove my arm. Derek gasps. My short-sleeved t-shirt doesn't hide the five bruises that encircle my biceps. The bruising irradiates out, turning my arm into a ghastly camouflage of reds and purples. It's not that bad, I say, and try to pull my sleeve down for cover. Did your brother do this to you? He's seething ever since Derek took Steven's starting quarterback position. They've never gotten along. No, I told you. It happens while I sleep. It's not my brother. I walk over to Tara and put my good arm around her shoulder. She buries her head in my chest. Her hair smells like strawberries and vanilla. It's still warm outside, but she's shivering. I try to wrap her in my sweatshirt. What happened in there? Derek looks back at the house. There was something in there. I got that part. No. Besides it, there was something else. Something in that room. He points to the right window closest to the door and my eyes go to the attic. On the walls. Pictures. Tara says into my shirt and then cries again. I look back to Derek and raise my eyebrows. He nods. Weird shit too, like there were pictures of the town, mostly the diner, and not just recent ones. Pictures in black and white and newspaper clippings. There were pictures of houses. Houses on Derek's street, Tara interrupts. Really? I ask. Yeah. He says, spooky shit. Like pics of my house, the Reynolds house, and the house where the Vandersons used to live across the street. So he's some old peeping Tom. No big deal. We'll just tell Tara's dad. No! Tara says. She pushes herself off me, sees my bare arm, and presses a hand to her mouth. It doesn't hurt. I lie again. She puts a hand on my upper arm. It feels ice cold on my burning skin. What are we going to tell him? That we broke into some old guy's house because he was hanging around the football field acting weird? My dad would arrest us. Besides, there was more in there than just pictures, Tara says. What, the bones on the floor? Asks Derek. That's probably nothing. They look like animals. Not the bones, Derek. The markings on the walls and the floor. Derek paces nervously, still looking at the house. You mean the blood? Blood, I say, and take a step back. What about blood? Derek turns to face me and raises his hands to calm me down. It's no big deal. Old guy just drew some symbols on the floor around the animal bones, and you know, it was his ring around the rose. He had sub seven up. Yeah, definitely no big deal there. He was playing, uh, he was, what, uh, he was playing that old fucking game with the marbles and the, and the jacks. <laughs> Shit, what was it called? And they were definitely animal bones. <laughs> and a few more on the wall. Just some crazy old guy drawing pictures, that's all. And hell, it might have just been red paint. It wasn't paint, Derek! <laughs> Tara scolds. <laughs> Didn't smell like paint! <laughs> Fine, it was blood, but again, probably just an animal, right? What kind of symbols, I ask. Just some weird shit on the floor, like shapes with zigzags and pentagrams. Sigils. Tara said. Sure, sigils, whatever those are, said Derek. And arrows. Tara, he doesn't need to know. Arrows? I ask. Arrows pointing to what? It's not a big deal, dude, says Derek. Don't worry about it. Tara shoots him a dirty look. She stares at my arm for a second and then looks me in the eye. The arrows painted. The, air, the arrows pointed to two pictures on the wall. One was his wife. 
It was a wedding photo from a long, long time ago. He drew a heart around that one. The other one. Tara, don't, says Derek. The other one, she continues. The other one was of you, Chad. My blood turns cold. It was a picture of you from last year, and it... She pauses and looks at my arm again. And it had an X drawn through it. Tic-tac-toe, Chad. I look over her shoulder at the house. It seems to cower away from the early morning sun. In the top window, shadowed by dying trees, a young girl bangs on the window with one hand and clutches her belly with the other. We should go. I say. I say. We should go, I say. That uh, that certainly got very intense there at the end. <laughs> well, um, this is clearly the house of yeah. our, of our visitor, where he has he had been stationed before taking over the house across the street from yeah, like his headquarters from that or family. like his contact. Yeah, like you know, you're the infiltrator on the contact. I think he killed situation. the old guy. Probably. I think he killed the old guy and took his house. Well, and evidently, no, he says he's that also the old guy was standing at the, the, football uh, the football field the night before. So maybe he was. Yeah, out. I think I think the old guy might be information gathering. Perhaps. Like, or he was scared the shit out of. Yeah. And ran away. <laughs> yeah, but that's why he's sacrificing this this pregnant chick's baby. What? The the chick in the window. She's pregnant. Oh, was she really? Yeah, that's why he says at the end that she was clutching her like, belly. Yeah, slamming on the window, clutching her belly. Interesting. So it might be. I mean, I might be thinking about this wrong. It might be like in uh, the uh, the G story where the guy's stomach is cut. But I th- if she's already in no, that house with no. that thing, you're right. You know, like so. So were they like summoning something? Is this dude? Summoning it almost seems something? like it. It's it seems very satanic. It seems. It very seems very satanic. demonistic. Huh. Interesting. Anyway. I is for inn. And that's in with two ends, meaning a place where people stay and sometimes have sex with prostitutes. Here's another reference to the pregnancy. I'm huge. My voice echoes off peeling wallpaper and smoke stained plaster. When's the last time I heard my own voice? When's the last time I actually talked? Am I really that boring? Ooh, a little bit of burps. (laughs) Uh, Am I really that boring? My eyes ventured down the mirror towards my midriff again. I pulled up an old Crestwater sweatshirt to show my belly. It still smells like him. The sweatshirt. Not, Not my belly. I mean, my belly might? I shake my head. Easily, Ashley, I think. No need to get ahead of yourself. Something in the mirror catches my eye. No! I shriek and then immediately cut my hand to my mouth. That was really loud. I giggle, then cry, then try to do both at the same time and give myself a headache. They weren't kidding about the hormones. I take a step closer to the mirror. Plastic cups wrapped in cellophane sit next to a single serving coffee maker. They block my view. I bend over to push them to the side, and a sharp pain dings into my left rib. Okay, okay, no bending. Jeez. 
I stand back up. I rock onto my tiptoes. And, yep, turkey's done, I say. My innie is now an Audi. Push the sweatshirt back down, but not before bringing it to my nose for a quick sniff. You're ridiculous, I say to the stupid redhead in the mirror. She nods in agreement. There's a knock at the door. I rush across the tiny room, practically skipping by the two twin beds, and pull open the door. A cool, early fall breeze blows against my leg. I slam the door shut. Ashley, the familiar voice says on the other side. Pants! I shout. I can feel my face turn red. What? Pants! Er, uh, I mean, one second. I need to, um, freshen up. Freshen up? Seriously? Now he's going to think I'm giving myself a moist toilet bath. Moist. Gross. Who uses that word? And I immediately believe this is the writing of a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. (laughs) Ashley? Can I come back later? No, Cal! I shout from the crouched position behind the far bed. Where the hell are my pants? One more second and... Aha! Are you okay? (laughs) I pull the pants on and skip to the door. I'm perfect. I say as I swing open the door. You're huge. His pimple, his pupils. <laughs> his pupils swim in wide eyes. Great. Cal McCackie is going to pass out on my doorstep. Well, not not my doorstep. More like my rented doorstep. But since this is my only home at the moment, that's not really what a girl likes to hear. I say, and work my way under an arm, and guide him to the bed. He sits down in a confused slouch. His eyes never leave my stomach. But, but, stammers. You like it? I tease. It's the latest fall fashion. All the girls at school are wearing it these days. I do an awkward spin and thrust my belly forward. He starts to turn green. Okay, he's not in the mood, I think. Don't worry, there's only one in there. I've had like a million ultrasounds, just to be sure. The green shade got darker. Crap. It's okay, Cal. I'm okay. I sit next to him, put a hand on his shoulder and kiss his cheek. We're okay. Another sharp pain. This one in the right rib. But, but how? Well, when a man... When a man loves a woman, they get married. And the man hooks up with one of his students, and how long, he asks. About seven months? Maybe eight? I don't really know. I can't tell Lois, he blurts out. His eyes never leave my stomach. I try to lift his head up with my hand, but he resists. She doesn't need to know. I won't tell her. What are you? His voice trails off. He finally looks into my face. He seems much older than I remember. (sighs) I don't know. I'll stay here a few more days and then go to my brother Dan's house. I haven't talked to him yet. And he sure as hell doesn't know about this. Then there's a sharp pain in my sternum. Can a baby kick that high? (laughs) I'll be fine, I grunt out. Ashley, I can't do this. 
I mean, when you texted me to meet you here after all this time, he started to panic. You sure as hell know how to pick a mash. When you texted me, I was going to tell you this whole thing. What we did, it was a mistake. He's standing now, backing away from me. Cue the Lifetime original movie music. I roll my eyes internally. Jacob was five, and Lois, she wasn't paying attention to me, so I... He points at me. We did some things I'm not proud of. Really? You seemed pretty happy at the time, I think. So, th this can't happen. It can't. You understand? What a piece of shit. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I say, and stand up. He recoils from me. I wouldn't be surprised if he held up his fingers and across to ward off the evil in my belly. I stifle a laugh. Hold on. I hold my breath and puff out my cheeks. What are you? I hold up one finger. I can feel my face turning blue. I want to giggle and cry again. Ashley? He steps forward. Ashley, stop! I blow out the air and look down. Damn it, I say. I thought I could suck it back in! Reabsorb it, you know? I'm giggling. <laughs> That's not funny, he says. You could hurt the baby. See, Junior? You do care! Don't call me that, he shouts, and then follows with, Sorry, the mood changes in the room. How is your dad, by the way? He's fine, I guess. We just put him in a home last month. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh... This is the, the son of the yep. beginning of A is for Alzheimer's. He's cheating on his fucking yeah. wife. Part of me is hoping that these are in such close proximity that this is the chick in the thing. In the house? Banging because, the window? Yeah, because that's his yeah. son, isn't it? Like, the guy, the guy with the broken arm is his son. Chad? No, uh... Chad was the one with the broken arm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe I'm getting the, the names confused. I don't think we know who Chad's family yeah. is. Once you said it, I kind of went, no, that doesn't sound right. I'm sure I'm sure there are you know, dozens of listeners out there saying, <laughs> you're a fucking moron, man. Where, <laughs> no, where am I? I smoke too much weed. There's a lot going on, and it's, and it's because we read, you know, we read the last part four weeks ago. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> oh, Cal, I'm sorry. I go to hug him, but he raises a hand to stop me. There's an explosion of pain in my spine. Either this little thing is going to be the next Jet Li, or I've got a kangaroo in my stomach. I giggle again, and then start crying. Freaking hormones. His hand is on the doorknob now. He's leaving. Part of me knew he, he would. Actually, who, who am I kidding? All of me knew he would. I just... I hoped. I can't be a part of this, he says. His eyes are fixed on the inn's carpeted, on the inn's faded carpeting. If you need money or whatever, I can get you some. I don't need money, I say. He waves it off. Just text me or email me, but don't call, please. He looks at me. The door is open now. Behind him is an old Crown Victoria, pulls into a parking space in front of my room. It's one of those decommissioned cop cars that still have the floodlights hooked to the windshield. I'm staring at it when he walks away. 
I'm sorry, Ash. He says over his shoulder. Now the door is shut, and I really want pizza. I'm not sad. Not yet. I'm hungry. It's nature overriding my needs and focusing on the baby or some crap like that. I scan the room for my purse and see it wedged between a backpack and some idiot's guide to pregnancy book. I should have bought the idiot's guide to idiots, I think. I bend over. There's a pain. Darkness. I wake up on the floor. My pants are wet. And there's crusted vomit on my sweatshirt. Good, I think. Now it won't smell like him. I try and sit up. But each movement causes bright lightning bolts of agony that trace every nerve down to my legs. I start crying and then giggle. At least I know part of my brain still works. I roll to the side and my vision grows gray. It's dark in my room except for a faint red light. That glow from the coffee maker's power button. I try to push myself to my feet, but I feel unbalanced, so I crawl to the bed. Somehow, I pull myself up and sit awkwardly on the edge. My hands are on my knees. I'm trying to get my head right when a ripple forms in the middle of my sweatshirt and cascades from one side to the other. I blink, try to refocus, and shake my head. Weird time for morning sickness, I say to the empty room. My vision returns and I try to stand. I'm thirsty, and this sweatshirt stinks. Stinks like him, I think, and then immediately shake it off. Asshole, I say, and make way for the sink using my using the walls for support. There's a fluttering around the light that sends the room into a pulsing red strobe. I find the light switch next to the vanity and flick it on. A large white moth bounces off the coffee maker two more times, then heads straight for the 60-watt bulb above me. I swat at it to keep its wings from my face, and the movement sends pain radiating out from my stomach. I look into the mirror and see a large lump form under my sweatshirt, and then disappear again. I definitely saw it that time, I say to the girl opposite of me. I stripped off the stained sweatshirt and the wet pants, so I'm standing on my matching bra and panties. The romantic side of my brain sighs as the cynical side cackles. You thought you were going to get lucky tonight, it howls. Matching underwear? Seriously? I stare at my belly for a second, taking in the faint stretch marks that cut through freckles and pale skin. And then it moves. A small bump forms just over my belly button. Grows and expands until it's the size of a toothbrush. And then the end spreads, and five little fingers press against my skin. I feel a motherly warmth wash over me. I forget about Cal. I forget about the annoying moth flickering about in the light. I forget about this cheap inn that I've been stuck in for a week because I didn't have the courage to call Cal earlier. I forgot about Cal again. I forget it all and just focus on the tiny thing inside me, reaching out to say hello. Hello, I say into the mirror, and then another tiny nub forms on the left side of my stomach. It too grows in size and then spreads out. 
a second tiny hand reaching for me. I'm beaming. The girl in the mirror mimics my smile. Then, a third nub forms. My head swims. The doctor said only one, I yell. The finger of the fist spread open, just as a fourth bump surfaces and opens into a hand. I'm half excited, half terrified. A fifth hand juts out, and then a sixth, and a seventh. As the eighth one pushes up, I'm overcome with revulsion. I can't have four kids. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking shit. My stomach is twisting over itself. It's absolutely possible, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Fucking Octomom. Yeah, man. I'm going to vomit again. Eight tiny hands with 40 tiny fingers open and flexing under my skin, sending ripples of disgust and terror through my body. I throw open the bathroom door and turn on the light. A thousand moths swarm out at me, a never-ending horde of them pushing through a crack in the ceiling. Their wings beat at my face and hair. One flies into my mouth. I scream and turn away. The girl in the mirror, a tiny redhead, who only months ago was worried about going to homecoming, stares back at me with a bulging stomach, teeming with tiny little hands pressed out from under the skin. It looks like a flesh-colored squid wreathing above her waist. Above her waist. Writhing above her waist. I choke on the insect in my mouth and rush for the door. I've got to get out of here. The moths trail me. The hands pressed out on my stomach with such force that it feels like my skin will rip away. I swing open the door to the night and am blinded by a bright light. Before I can pull up my arms to shield my eyes, a bag is placed over my head. I try to scream but a hand clamps over my mouth as the monster squirms in my stomach. So that is absolutely the pregnant girl who was in that house. Yep. Kidnapped. There without a choice. And evidently it is a adulterous child. And an affair has taken place between, well, a, between a teacher and his student. So the, the affair obviously definitely took place. Um... But I think that I don't know that this thing is his. I, think I don't it, know that it's I think a human. it is. I think what's happening is our our Randall Flag character is making her hallucinate so that he could draw her out of the the motel room. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I took it as in no, she saw the ultrasounds earlier. She knows what what's true. I think when she. I think when she was knocked out and then woke back up, she was in, like, a state, like, a fugue state, like, a delirious state, and therefore easy to, like, manipulate. Okay. With his, um... Yeah. With his powers. You know, he obviously has powers. So, it's, um... He had a disappearing act in the, uh, F is for feed. Yeah. He teleported all over the fucking place, and E is for Ezekiel. He definitely... Has powers and he's definitely evil. You know he kills. Oh yeah, yeah. He kills. I think Derek and and B is for breaking. You know, in a fucking instant. So this next one is called J is for Junior. I'm Junior. Hello, Cal. I say, Cal, they're coming. 
He's staring out, the double-pane windows hunched over with both hands in his jean pockets. His hat is pulled down low over eyes that won't look at me. The gray sky rumbles, and clouds froth with the coming storm. It's a storm. I can smell the day's sweat on him. Cal, I say again. The pain is coming like the storm, rumbling and frothing in my belly. Cal, please. He turns, his face is haggard, much too old for someone his age. There's moisture in his eyes that nearly masks the twinkle of excitement. They're coming? His lips attempt a smile, but strain against the frown he's been wearing for weeks. Are you okay? Yes, I lie. Both my hands go to the bulge underneath the white sheets. I can feel movement beneath the skin like a writhing bag of alien limbs. You shouldn't have taken me to see that movie. I know, I'm sorry. He's beside me now, his calloused hand resting on my stomach. I keep imagining them bursting out of my chest. I try to laugh, but a contraction has me biting my tongue instead. Warm blood pools in my cheek. I squeeze his hand until his fingers turn purple. Should I call someone? Bright flares of panic explode in the corner of his eyes. Like who, your brother? I don't know why I say this, and immediately I'm apologizing. As the contraction subsides, I release Cal's hand. It lingers on my belly for a moment, and then he pulls it away as he crosses the room. Couldn't you just forgive him, or at least forget about it for a day, just today? No, he says without turning around. He's looking out into the hallway now. I don't know what's going on between you two, but it can't be so bad that he misses another contraction. I feel myself screaming. Cal's at my side again. Strong hands envelop mine as I squeeze. This is his mother, by the way. This is whose mother? I feel like this is Cal's mother and father, because if he's a junior, then he has the same name as his father. Which means oh. this, is, this is the cow with okay. all This is the yeah, cow this with is, Alzheimer's. Yep. See, I was actually going to comment on that. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is the first time that... And uh, not like first time total, because I know that the um, when we're in the church, it kind of yeah. touches on everything. Yeah. But this is the first time that it's about the same character twice. It might be. Like I'm saying, this this is about the dad cow. I think. Yeah. This is not about the teacher cow. So, I... I I think this is about that teacher's birth. It, it makes sense, yeah. Doctor? He yells, Nurse! I open my eyes to see a young brunette in blue scrubs. She's checking the machines that line the bed and feeling for my pulse. Her hands are reassuringly warm. How far apart are they? She asks in a voice barely above a whisper. A minute, maybe. Cal says, I, I don't know. I, I didn't count the last one. It's okay, you've got more important things to worry about. She winks at him and pushes hair out of my face. I'm thinking you're about ready, hon, she says to me. I'll call the doctor and we'll get that baby out. Babies, I correct her. There's an almost imperceptible flash on her face. Warm blue eyes that matched her scrubs collapse into hollow black holes. Thin red lips peel back to show sharpened rows of teeth that quiver in wet gums. In less time than it took me to acknowledge the change, she shifts back to a young, sweet girl with a comforting smile. Of course, babies. 
She winks again at Cal, who's staring intently at me, and then leaves the room. This actually might be the same woman (laughs) from the first part. I I don't know yet. You okay? He asks me. You're sweating pretty bad. He puts a gentle hand to my forehead, and I melt a little. I'm perfect now, Cal. Just nerves. He leans in and kisses my belly, then moves up and kisses my lips and forehead. I'm here, he says. I'm not going to leave your side. You can squeeze my hand till the fingers break. A small smile fights its way to the surface of his face, but don't, okay, I still gotta work. I give his hand a gentle squeeze as the doctor hurries into the room. He's staring intently at a clipboard and nearly runs into the bed. Oops, he says and looks up. The studio audience laughs and claps. I I definitely don't think... The doctor is played by none other than Kramer from Seinfeld. Uh, I don't think that this is the same pregnant chick. I don't okay. think that they'd be like... We're still running with... This is Cal, the then dad. It's Cal, yeah. then it's Alzheimer's dad. Yeah. The kiss on the lips kind of is is my, like... Uh, I don't think that they would be doing that if it's like, Hey, we just got back together two months ago. Now I'm with you, which obviously means I'm not sure. with my wife. Sure. Like, sure. My blood curdles. It feels like both babies in my gut are clawing their way up into my throat. My heart beats a racehorse pulse in my ears. The doctor's face is a mask of horror. His cheeks are pinned back with staples. A jagged line of flesh cuts diagonally upwards from both corners of his mouth, giving him a clown's gaping smile. Black holes smoke where his eyes should be, and rows of pointed teeth gleam in the harsh hospital light. He tilts his head sideways, and one ear dangles down on a thin strand of oozing flesh. I try to scream, but a contraction forces my mouth and eyes shut. Oh dear, the monster says. Oh dear, oh dear, nurse. Cal is holding my hand. He's reminding me to breathe. Yes, doctor? It's the nurse from before, but I'm too scared to open my eyes. I focus on Cal, whispering softly to me. Breathe, darling, breathe. We've got a problem, the doctor says, and I open my eyes. He's normal again, almost boring. Plain features on a plain face. He nods to me and then taps some of the machines. He almost looks worried. We're going to need to get a bit hands-on right now. He walks around to the foot of the bed. What's going on, Doc? asks Cal. Her heart rate is dropping with each contraction. I'm afraid this may be putting the baby in danger. One of them's already dead. Which explains why the guy from the beginning didn't have any siblings, at least yeah. not by my count. He looks at uh, babies. I correct him. He looks at me strangely. His features don't seem to line up with his face as he tilts his head. Did you have an ultrasound? Oh, this Another okay. contraction. Yeah. Another contraction. No, says Cal, for me. We, uh, we couldn't really afford one. Oh, says the doctor and smiles widely at the nurse. Then how do you know there are two? I just know I scream over the pain. The nurse pats my shoulder. My skin burns from her touch. The doctor looks over to Cal and gives him an, I'm the doctor here, shrug. Well, let's just see, okay? He lifts up the sheet and then... Tremendous pain. I'm split in two while clawed hands tear through flesh to retrieve the life that grew inside of me. I howl in agony. Seconds last hours. Minutes last an eternity. I scream until blood ruptures in my throat. 
I'm echoed by a tiny voice, trumpeting his existence. It's a boy, the doctors say. I blink back to consciousness. There's a gray creature, covered in clumpy mucus, held out in front of me. Congratulations, Mrs. Mackey. I try to raise my arms to receive my son, but they won't lift from the sheets. What's his name? asks the nurse. I look pleadingly over to Cal, but he's entranced by the child. Cal? I whisper. With the last of my voice, I feel the sheets dampening around my legs. Just like his daddy, the nurse beams. Let's get little Cal cleaned up. She takes the baby from the doctor, carries him over to a table, and places him under a heat lamp. Wanna watch, daddy? Cal nods and follows, not before squeezing my hand one last time. The room is losing its color. Nurse, the doctor says. She's losing a lot of blood. For a moment, Cal's attention is back on me. He takes a step towards the bed, but the nurse grabs him. Mr. Mackey, you're going to need to come with me. But my wife, she'll be fine. You just need to let the doctor do his job. She pushes him out of the room and pulls the door shut. But before it closes all the way, he blows me a kiss. A tear breaks free from my eye and makes a path down my face. With the door shut, the doctor turns back towards the bed. Now, he says with a grin. Let's get that other one out. So this evil man who comes to the village might be the brother of our fucking protagonist from part one. Oh, that's fucking wild. And it's some demon child, apparently. (laughs) My eyes go wide. I try to shout for Cal, for anybody, but my throat won't work. The nurse walks over to the side of my bed and leans in close to my face. Looks like you were right, she whispers. Babies. There's a shimmer on her face, like looking at someone underwater. It morphs to that of a gargoyle and then shifts back just as fast. She uses her middle finger to wipe away the tear. This may sting a bit, the doctor says and lifts the sheet again. I don't feel anything. I don't feel the claws ripping me open. I don't feel his hands thrusting into my body. I don't feel the baby pulled out by its back leg or its tiny fingers trying to hold on to its safe haven inside of me. I don't feel anything at all. The doctor raises the child up by one foot and licks the blood off of its leg. It whimpers in its hand. It's a girl, (laughs) he says. The nurse claps. I think we'll hold on to this one, you know, for safekeeping. She says to me and pats my head. What do you want to name her, dear? The doctor hands the baby to the nurse who coddles her, then kisses her nose. The nurse smiles and her lips are red with blood. How about we name her after my mother, she asks. That's a great idea, the doctor says. My blood is slowing to a trickle. I'm forgetting how to breathe. My eyes flutter shut, and the last thing I hear is the nurse saying... World, meet my daughter. Greta, meet the world. I wake up, and I am alone. I don't know who the fuck Greta is, so that just throws a wrench in our entire plan. Well, that's Cal's mom, right? That's Alzheimer's guy's wife, who's not in the picture anymore. Like, this is obviously uh, from the past. Yeah, yeah. This is a prequel. So, Alzheimer's son has a sister he doesn't know about. Yeah. That's the weird part. And... It sounds like she dies in childbirth. And that's how they, like, get away with uh, stealing this child is, like, you know, you're, 
We're very oh, sorry perhaps. your wife died. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know if we... No, because it's... the. I don't know if he said anything in A is for Alzheimer's about mom passing away or anything like that. Well, the but the last thing that she says is I wake up and I'm alive. Or I'm alone or whatever. I wake up and I'm alone. Yeah. So, so she's not dead. But she is alone. Why wouldn't she be with her husband if she just gave birth to a child? Oh, I don't know. Because they knocked her the fuck out. For... Yeah. For... Uh, what is it? To retake liquids. Anyway, this next one is called K is for Keg. Well, rather than figure it out, let's just jump back in. <laughs> let's just keep on going. <laughs> no, there's, there's no figuring it out. There's a key somewhere. We haven't needed it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just so... I'm hell-bent on <laughs> seeing the key coming. Like, that's... <laughs> That's where my headspace is at. You're the type of guy who still has their Pepe Sylvia chalkboard <laughs> trying to figure out the fucking timeline of Kingdom Hearts. Alright. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the car pulled off a side road and down a dirt path that seemed like that seemed to end in a tunnel of trees. Is this the place? I asked from the back seat. Neither Bo nor Caitlin said anything. I took another sip from my beer and tried not to grimace from the taste. I didn't do so well. Still being a little wuss, huh, Farah? Both sneered into the rear, rear view mirror. Caitlin turned around and put a hand on my knee. You know, you have to fake it if, if you don't like it. Far. Far. Fair. I don't know. Yeah. Is How it Farah or Farah? I don't know. We'll go with Farah. Far. Whatever. I'm probably going to change it every third Yeah, you are. (laughs) So let's just go with it. How else will the boys ever like you? She winked at me and put a hand in Bo's crotch. Dick! (laughs) The Oldsmobile swerved off the road for a second, kicking up rocks and dirt. Yeet! Maybe I don't care if they like me, I muttered. Huh? Nothing. I stared out the window into eternal blackness. I thought the country was supposed to have stars. Not when it's cloudy, Bo said. Don't worry. I have a few Jennies at the house. There will be lights and, and music, Caitlin asked. Because I want to dance. She shouted the last part out the front window. The warm air blew her hair back in a flag of blues and pinks. Sometimes I wondered how we were even related. Sure, said Bo. You can dance all you want. You can dance if you want to. There it is. <laughs> there it is. The, the one headlight of the cutlass sliced dark shadows across a slanted structure. I fucking miss driving a car with one headlight. <laughs> yeah. Like that is that is so high school to me. It's like, yo, I got like twenty bucks a week. I can't afford a headlight. They're like seven bucks. I've never I've maybe had that experience last a week before someone told me I had a headlight out. And then you know what I did? I oh, was fuck responsible dude. and I learned I how it. to replace my headlights. I've done that for like six months. <laughs> like and you this. weren't you were never stopped by a cop? No. Not once? No, you just fucking play it smart. I'm always stopped. I'm always stopped. Um, the only times I've gotten pulled over, I was doing like 30 plus miles an hour, and I kind of went, yeah. I've been, I've been pulled over for busted lights too fucking often. Fair enough. I don't like it. Um, you can dance with uh, <laughs> It was, it was two, two stories, stories high, high, with the middle collapsing down on a massive dimple. The exterior was charred to a charcoal finish, 
and reflected some of the light in the muted reflection of blacks and grays. Where are we? I asked. Where am I? <laughs> the late spring air coming through the open window turned cold under canopy of trees. I don't know. I don't know, Bo said. Some townie's house burned down a couple nights ago. What about the cops? But what about the cops? Caitlin mimicked me. God, you are so lame far. She pulled the handle on the door and kicked it open, her laugh harmonizing with the squeaking hinge. Bo turned around in his seat. It's going to be okay. This place was practically deserted before it burnt down. There was just some old guy living here. He set fire to the place himself. The cops came and went already. Steven said they're tearing it down next week. This is... The fucking cabin. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Steven? I felt my face turn red. Yeah, said Bo with a wink. He's here. This was his idea. He looked out the windshield to the front of the car, where Caitlin was twirling in the single lamp spotlight. Her 30-foot shadow danced on the top of the house behind her. One white moth fluttered about her hair like an escaped ash from a flame. Let's go, okay? It's going to be fun, I promise. He kicked open the door and flipped off the headlight. Caitlin stopped twirling and pouted in the darkness. Fun. Right, I said to myself. I climbed out of the car and left my beer in the back seat. The interior light blinked out as I shut the door and was immediately cast in a claustrophobic swarm of blackness. I froze in my tracks. The damping air coating my bare legs and causing me to shiver. Goose flesh ripped up my arms, and I could feel something breathing on my neck. I was about to scream when a faint light flickered on from my right side. Hey, Farah, said a voice behind me. He was so close, I could feel his lips moving on the nape of my neck. The light flipped over, revealing a cell phone that shone down and barely lit an overgrown dirt path. You gotta be careful out here in the dark. Hi, Steven, I said. One arm wrapped around my chest from behind and pulled me into him. He kissed my cheek and then let me go. I'm glad you came. I'm glad you came me on my face. <laughs> me too. I lied. <laughs> Damn! <laughs> it's the motherfucking deal to the Somewhere in the dark, music started playing. The heavy bass beat in counter rhythm to my heart. There was a low growl, a mechanical whine, and then to the left of the crooked building exploded into fluorescent light. I tried to shield my eyes, but Stephen grabbed my hand and drug me forward. Come on. He shouted over the music. The party's starting. I tripped over my own feet, but managed to follow him without falling on my face. My worn Converse shoes barely finding purchase in the gravel. For a brief moment, I wondered how Caitlin managed to walk, let alone dance, in those heels. I settled on the theory that she got all the coordination in our family. We rounded the left corner of the house and skidded to a halt. Three work lights split off from two generators, circled one lone keg. A tap frothed and spit beer as someone I'd never seen before 
pumped watered-down Pilsner into red cups. Stephen ran off, saying something about getting us drinks. The wind picked up behind me and brought the smell of old smoke and some sweet, pugnant stench like rotting meat or decay. Are you sure no one is coming? I asked, but no one heard me. A jockish guy in a Crestwater varsity jacket was lifting Caitlin over the keg. She was upside down, her skirt falling towards her, ke- her chest, showing off what a tiny pair of pink underwear that said kiss it on the butt. I blushed. She's not embarrassed by anything, Bo said from beside me. I must have jumped up because he laughed and said, it must be weird. What is? I asked. Caitlin was sucking on the end of the tap while another varsity jacket cheered from on, cheered on from the side. Seeing yourself up there. But I'm not. I mean, if you look past Caitlin's hair and dress, you two are identical. So? I didn't like where this was going. So, he laughed, even if you're not up there right now, you still are in a way. All those guys drooling over my girlfriend's ass are really drooling over your ass as well, Far. My hand instinctively went to the back of my jean shorts. I wished I had stayed home. Great, so everyone here is a perv like you, Bo. Nah, he said, and started walking away. I'm the only one that's seen you both naked. You have not, I protested. I've seen her, he shouted over his shoulder, and then he was beside the keg, helping Caitlin down. She teetered on her feet before falling into his arms and giving him a sloppy kiss. I looked back to the Oldsmobile, but it was swallowed up by the darkness. Now what? I asked myself. Stephen was making his way up to the keg. I didn't want to join the others, but the darkness felt like it was creeping up behind me. So I walked over to the center of the circle. Stephen saw me and smiled. He was balanced with his hands on the keg and his feet on the shoulders of the bigger jock. Wish me luck, he said, and then was pushed up into a handstand. Bo began pumping the tap while Caitlin shoved the nozzle in Stephen's mouth. Everyone cheered but me. I screamed. Everyone turned to stare at me. Stephen lost his grip and plunged straight down into the lip of the keg, exploding the bridge of his nose. Blood with, mixed with beer sprayed everywhere. What the fuck? He shrieked. And I still screamed. Farah! Farah! Far, knock it off! She pushed me awkwardly, the keg standing, already taking its toll on her. I fell sideways into one of the guys I didn't know. He was too shocked to catch me, and we ended up bumping heads. I winced, and when I did, I closed my eyes for the briefest of seconds. And when I opened them, the thing was gone. I stopped screaming. I felt like the world, and everything in it, swarmed on me at once. I was dizzy, lost, and terrified. Seriously, what the fuck, Far? Stephen yelled. He had pulled off his t-shirt, and was using it to stymie the blood. No one else saw it? I whispered. My eyes never left the house. Saw what? 
the big jock asked. His voice was much higher than I expected. Something! I don't know. It was something. You broke my nose, Far! Stephen yelled. You broke my nose because of something? He seemed to only take one step, but he covered the ten feet between us in a flash. He was holding the shirt on one hand and poking me with the collarbone with the other. What did you see? I tried to back away, but my feet were frozen. Something? 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 I, I, I don't know what. Something moved in there. Something! I felt myself wanting to cry, but I held back the tears. Stephen's finger was digging into my chest. There's nothing in there. It's empty. It's been empty, he said. How can you be sure? He's sure, said Caitlin. She was pissed. Quit being such a baby. I want to go home, I said. I looked at Caitlin. She crossed her arm and shook her head. I looked over at Beau. He seemed to think about it for a second. Then he walked over to Stephen. Your call, buddy, he said. I'm not going anywhere, Stephen said, staring holes into me. Not until that keg is dry. There was whooping and high fives, and then all the guys circled the keg. One of the smaller jocks was flipped upside. Put a cookie in the middle and said, "The last one to come has to eat it." That's what the girls are Circle here up for. Fags. One of the smaller jocks was flipped upside down, and their ritual continued. So they got a keg simply to do keg stands. Yes. Well, they're they're like obviously in like high school. And yeah, they're not but actually like, allowed to drink. So okay, here's my sounds like terrible beer too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's my thought process. You only have one keg. You probably can only get one keg. You're going to waste that shit on fucking keg stands? Like... They're chunks. Frat party dudes. Yeah, fair enough. Caitlin stood across from me. Her arms still crossed. Maybe I'm too much of an alcoholic. I'm like, yo, conserve that fucking beer. No, it's (laughs) just you... It's not so much that you're an alcoholic. It's that you have not experienced the, the, like... The like jock retardedness of doing keg stands. I've never okay. done a keg stand. I've watched them done and I thought they were fucking stupid. <laughs> you know. I've definitely done a keg stand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Um. I, I I lived in state college for like that's right a long time. Yeah. It, it, I know exactly when it happened, uh, and it's only happened at least it's only happened twice that I was so that I wasn't black the fuck out for. Sure. Um, Cat, please, please, can we go? There's something in that house. There's something out there. Quit being such a nerd, she said. Why can't you just have fun? Why can't you stop being so? She unfolded her arms and put her hands on her hips. For once in your life, just act like me. She stomped off towards the others. I know what I saw, I said to the air where she used to be. Except I didn't. I had no clue what I saw. Could have been one of those floodlights, shining through a broken window, reflecting off trunks of charred interior wall. But it wasn't. It could have been an animal, scavenging for food. 
but nothing ran out of the house when I screamed. It was still in there. It's still in there, I whispered. I, cir I turned to the circle of strangers. My sister was pushing a nozzle into one of their upturned faces, like a diver adjusting their snorkel. It's still in there, I shouted. Everyone froze. Steven's back was towards me. I saw it hunch over. He finished the beer in his hand and then threw the cup on the ground. Bo leaned in and said something to him, but I couldn't hear what. As Steven turned around, he dropped his bloody shirt on the ground and fished a black rectangle from the front pocket of his jeans. With a flick of his thumb, a two-inch blade pushed up from the handle. He stalked towards me. Stephen, I'm sorry. I raised my hands, and he was there beside me, moving at inconceivable speed. He grabbed me under one armpit and drug me towards the house. The box cutter pointed the way. You won't shut up about it, huh? He snarled. Spit and blood spotted my face. Both his eyes were starting to blacken. Then why don't we go in there? Find out what's freaking you out, and I'll add it to my wall. He shook his blade for emphasis. Stephen, I'm sorry. I'll be quiet. Look at my face, Far. He stopped and pulled me close. He smelled like beer and wintergreen dip. Sorry ain't gonna cut it. Something's gonna have to die. He drugged me forward to a broken window. Go. But go, he repeated and pointed with the blade. Just go in there, Farah, Caitlin yelled from the keg. The two of you need some alone time anyway, she laughed. Apparently, I got all the common sense in the family, I thought. I tried to pull myself through the window, but couldn't manage to get my leg over the sill. All of a sudden, Stephen's hand was on my ass, pushing me up. At least I got something out of tonight, he laughed. I tried to swat his hand away, but lost my balance and toppled headfirst into the house. I landed on a collapsed dining room table in a cloud of ash and debris. The air was knocked out of my lungs and I grasped for breath. Stephen poked his hand, his head over the ledge and laughed. You're obviously not the graceful one, he said. Now get up and chase who, whatever's in there to the front door. I'll take it from there. Do not fuck it up. He barred his teeth and it disappeared around the side of the house. As oxygen fought its way back into my lungs, the full view of the room swam in on me. The space was small and cramped and filled with the charred remains of thousands of books. Shelves slumped along the crooked walls and a large recliner melted in on itself in a corner. Springs pierced the leather like some sort of medieval torture device. I shuddered and got to my feet. I stood still and listened. The noises from the outside were muted by the walls, and inside the house nothing made a sound besides my rapid breath. Hello? <laughs> I called out to the darkness. There was no reply. Of course there was no reply, I thought. I'm standing in the middle of a dead house. I tiptoed through the room with my arm across my chest hugging myself. It seemed to be 20 degrees colder in there. The room's doors were mirrored with smoke 
and lay propped against the doorframe. I stepped around it and walked into the hallway. The hall was short enough that I could see the other end in the dark. Three rooms split off to the right ahead of me. A small foyer with a teetering staircase bisected the hallway after the closet room. I took a few steps forward and looked through the first door. A wired bend with cringing mat with cringed mattress sat in the middle. Old paintings hung on smoked stained frames, their canvases pock pockmarked with burn holes. I let my eyes adjust for a moment, and when I was sure there was nothing else in there I continued down the hallway. I entered the foyer and looked to my left. A tiny kitchen peered through a half-open door. In front of me, a staircase led to the second floor, but all the bottom stairs had been turned to ash. I looked to my right, and a man stood in the doorway, holding a large blade. My heart stopped for a moment, and then Stephen said, Well, did you find your boogeyman yet? I wanted to say he was standing right in it there, but I shook my head no and continued forward. The light from the front door illuminated the flooring in front of me. Black ash covered every inch of the once brown wood floors. The hallway looked like it was carved out of a lamp of charcoal, and then I stepped forward and caught something in my eyes. In the middle of the floor, the ashes looked to be flattened in a straight line that led down the hallway. I crouched down to get a better look. The ashes were pushed to the side, as if something was dragged through. I looked behind me and the path continued from where I had come from. In front of me, it rounded a corner into the next room, on each side of the path. I gasped. What is it? Stephen hissed from the front door. What do you see? Handprints, I said, and stood up. I brushed the house's ash from my knees. Handprints, Stephen? Is this some kind of sick joke? What are you talking about? There are handprints on the floor. I saw something in here when I was outside, and now I'm seeing handprints on the floor? If you wanted to scare me, you've done it, okay? Now I'm leaving. I walked towards the door, but Stephen didn't move. It wasn't us, he said. There was a slight tremble in his voice. No one's been inside. We got here like five minutes before you did. We had just set up the lights and the kegs when you guys, his, trail, his voice trailed off. Steven? He wiped the box cutter on one pant leg and licked his lips. We've got to see what it is. Are you drunk? I shouted. Shh. He stepped into the house and grabbed my elbow. Let's just look. He turned me back towards the path and shoved me forward. In his other hand, the blade reflected a little bit of light that braved its way into the house. I raised my hands and walked quickly to try and put some distance between us. I arrived at the, at the door first and looked down. There was only one blemish on the door frame's white paint. A single black handprint rounded the bottom edge. I took a big breath to steady myself and walked into the room. The wall opposite me had one broken window. To the left, a black wall with hundreds of burnt photos stapled to it leaned forward, threatening to collapse at any minute. To the right was another wall 
with more photos, but these seemed to radiate out from two distinct pictures. One was a black and white picture of a wedding, the bottom half was scarred with burn marks, but the top showed a couple seemingly happy. The other picture was of a boy that looked a lot like... Stephen? There was a scratching sound, like furniture being moved. I scanned the room but saw nothing. The ceiling was bubbled, and a hole up in the center of the second floor. Chunks of plaster and wood lay in the middle of the floor, surrounded by charred ropes and chains. That must be where the fire started. Stephen said over my shoulder. I thought I heard something. I said, Me too. He nudged me forward. I took one more step into the room, and my shoe brushed against something on the floor. I looked down, and beside me, an arm lay outstretched from behind the remains of a bookshelf. Its skin was scarcely black. Three fingernails were pulled off, and the other two were caked in ash, blood, and purple paint. I screamed and tried to pull my feet away, but the hand lashed out and grabbed my ankle. There was a low whining sound, like that of a cat and a raspy howl. Stephen grabbed my shoulder and pulled me backward, and I lost my balance. I fell on my butt and kicked at the hand. I looked up to Stephen for help, but he was retreating into the hallway staring at me with his mouth agape at something over my left shoulder. I turned slowly, followed the hand on my shoe to the arm, and the arm to the blackness behind the bookshelf. Another hand creeped out and slid along the wall till it got to the door frame. It grabbed hold and then pulled. A head covered in black scabs, burns, and patches of red matted hair emerged from the shadows. The head tilted up towards me, showing a charred face. Green pus and crusted blood filled holes where skin had fallen away. A black hole separated to show broken teeth. The thing howled again. The box cutter fell to the floor beside me as Stephen ran for the front door. I screamed and kicked as the thing climbed its way out and grabbed my thigh. It pulled until it was laying on top of my legs. An engorged stomach ripped and convulsed on my shins. I tried to push it back, but the charred skin slowed my hand. I reached for the box cutter, and the thing used my free arm to pull itself higher until it was face to face with me. I screamed again. It screamed back at me. The box cutter came down on its shoulder, lodging the blade all the way to the handle. The thing howled and recoiled. I got to my feet and ran. When I got outside, everyone was gone. The lights were packed away, and only the kegs stood out in the yard, like a house's own tombstone. I screamed for Caitlin, and then a single light turned on, blinding me for a moment. I stood, frozen in fear, and then the thing in the house let out another howl. I ran towards the light. The Oldsmobile's engine came to life and I climbed into the back seat. Drive! I screamed. What happened? asked Caitlin. She was turned around in the front seat, holding my shoulders. 
Steven came out and said something about an animal. Not an animal, I said. Something else. What was it? Bo said into the mirror. I, I, I don't know. I want to go home. What do you mean you don't know? Shouted Bo. Stephen was freaking white when he came out of that house. I don't know, okay? I yelled back. It's okay, said Caitlin as she stroked my hair. It's okay. That's enough fun for one night. Bo tried to say something else, but Caitlin shook her head no. He gripped the steering wheel until his knuckles turned colors and drove. As the cutlets made its way down the main road, I turned and looked through the rear window. For a moment, I thought I saw something standing in the cove of the trees screaming at us. Bo later said that Stephen went to the house when they knocked it down and nothing came out. Whatever it was died in there, Stephen told Bo. I don't believe him. I'm starting to put shit together. Yeah. Yeah. I think red hair and gorged belly, I think it's the pregnant woman absolutely got they trapped got in the attic yeah. and the kids lit the house on fire to kind of you know maybe, maybe to monster. save Chad or maybe something happened to Chad yeah. you know we're well, missing the part in between the two we're gonna one okay. of these stories is gonna have to deal with setting the house on fire the picture changed or maybe Chad just looks a lot like Steven because they're they're both jocks uh, remember he played quarterback yeah yeah I mean but they they went to the same school. I feel like someone at that school would recognize. Hey, that's or maybe a there person. are multiple pictures in multiple rooms. Yeah, also also a, f- a factor. So, I'm also. If this woman is alive and is no longer in the house, then this is the woman who's in the doghouse that says, "Shush, you'll wake the baby," which means yeah, she dug up the dead dog, and it means that well, she's also like she's like fucking sort crazy. of dead. She's, like, crazy. Yeah. I don't think she's dead. I just think she's fucking nuts. I think, like, she's been almost killed, has obviously been possessed or made mad by th- by this man. I think she can't die because of the demon in her belly. Yeah, perhaps. Like, her her skin is fucking oozing and pussing. Like, you, well, that's third-degree burns. Y- yeah, but why is she still in the house? You know, like if she was, she knows she's possessed by a demon. Maybe, maybe she the, should figure that part maybe out. Maybe the house now. burning had happened a lot sooner than the story suggests. Maybe it had happened like a week ago. Yeah, in, but in no, because they said that it had been a couple days since the cops had left. Ah, well, if they said that, then that confirms it, which means yeah, which means she was just in the house somewhere, or at least a day, couldn't get out. Like, yeah. Um, but anyway, like when you put that together then that means that maybe the um, the gremlin thing that was in the funeral home is, like, her demon spawn. I'm almost and thinking it's playing that. around with it yeah. with, like, another dead baby or something. I don't know, man. Whatever it was, it kind of had the same skin description as the purple and black that, yeah. that the burned mother is described as. Um, interesting, fun that we're kind of yeah we're <laughs> enhanced. More, more information. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're investigators trying to put this shit together. Um, I do think this is going to be the last part of this episode. We've made it from G to L. 
Yeah. G-H-I-J-K-L. So we got another six mm-hmm. down, which is good. Um, this one is L is for limbs. Click, click, scratch. Did you hear that? She asks. I pretend I'm asleep. And let off a pair of semi-convincing snores into my pillow. <laughs> click, click, scratch. Ernest. Ernest, did you hear that? She doesn't shake me. She doesn't nudge me. The old bat pokes me in the back of the head. <laughs> Ernest, I know you ain't sleeping. Did you hear that noise? Damn it, woman! I hiss into my pillow. I don't hear anything! Now go back to... Click, click, scratch. There. There it is again. She shrieks. You keep this up and you get for yourself a heart attack, I say. But I know I'm not that lucky. <laughs> Odetta will still be kicking around this side of the dirt long after I'm gone. Click, click, scratch. She pokes me again. Aren't you going to check it out? No. Why in the hell would I do that? I roll over to face her. It's probably just the wind rustling them trees out front. Now go back to sleep, or at least shut your mouth so I can. She opens her mouth to say something, thinks better of it, and then lays her head back down on the pillow with her lips pursed. She's quiet just long enough for me to slip back into whatever dream I was having. Click, click, scratch. She's shaking me this time. This woman will be the death of me, I think. I open one eye, she's too damn ugly at night to get to, and lay on my meanest of glares. Her brown skin is practically gray in the near-dark room. Fuzz from the tiny TV on the dresser splashes bits of color onto her terrified face. Ah, hell, she really is scared. That just means I'm gonna have to get up out of this bed and see whatever is causing click, click, scratch. That's it, I say, and swing my legs out from under the sheets. The cold wood floor makes it feel like winter, but that's still months away. My knees creak as my back spasms, and together they work against me as I try to stand up. Isn't this the same noise as uh, the second story? As B? Breaking? Yeah. I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Something about the the click-click-scratch sounds very familiar. I think this is the story of the old man who owned this house before before it got taken. Um, I'm gonna show you it's just the damn tree branches. Old bones and joints crack and moan and bind as I hobble over to the window. I put two hands onto the curtains to pull them apart when the doorbell rings downstairs. Ernest, Odetta says softly from the bed. There's a tremble in her voice that makes her sound like a nervous frog. You just stay there, woman, I say, pointing a bony finger at her nose. You just stay there and keep practicing, not talking. I'll go see who's at the door. My hands leave the curtain and one reaches for the dresser to keep me upright. Odetta sees me stumble and says, Take your cane, you old fool. I wave her common away and make my way down the carpeted stairs. Each one sends searing pain up into my hips. I get halfway down and the doorbell rings again. That better not be one of those damn kids from across the street, I yell. Those kids are worse than their yapping mutts. At least the dogs can be put down after a few years. (laughs) I smile at the thought and the doorbell rings again. I'm coming, I'm coming. You'll wear out the damn button before I get there. I make it to the landing and cross the few steps to get to the door. I try to look through the peephole, but it's dark outside. What did I expect? I say to myself. It's the middle of the damn night. Next to the door, a beige light switch is flipped up to the on position. Light must be out. 
It was working perfectly, a voice says through the door. It catches me off guard, and I almost lose my balance. I grab the knob to steady myself. It jiggles from the other side. Who's there? I croak. Now, who sounds like a frog, I think? Ah, that's a loaded question, the voice replies. I look through the peephole and I see nothing. I flip the light switch a few times and then look again. Still nothing. Did you break my bulb? Because that's destruction of property or something like that, and I got a nephew who's a lawyer. His mother must be proud, the voice replies jovially. His mother? What? I think we can overcome the confusion if you would just open the door, the voice said, then added, Mr. Vanderson. The knob twists in my hand. I try to squeeze it, try to stop the rotation, but it's too strong. So this is him taking over the house from yeah. B is for break-in. Yeah. This is the house where he is across the street from the Reynolds, or the... Uh, the, the neighbors to the Reynolds, the, yeah. uh, the Derek's family. The Cal. No, Derek's family. Isn't Derek Cal's son? Junior? No, no. Okay. No, um, his, his kid's name is Jacob and he's only like five. Um, the kid, oh, across, the kid yeah. across the street is Derek who has a little sister. And, and she's the one with the, the dog. parents with the dog. Yeah, the yeah. dog house. Okay. <laughs> the timeline. Pepe yeah. Sylvia. The knob twists in my hand. I try to squeeze it, try to stop the rotation, but it's too strong. There's a click and I see the deadbolt roll back. The door inches open. I let go of the knob and put both hands on the wood. I push it and all my joints catch fire with pain. My left arm gives out and I put my shoulder into the door instead. My entire weight is up against the wood, yet it still inches open. Little by little, the door swings inward, pushing me back into the landing. Now, now, the voice says. Is that any way to treat a guest? The door stops moving. I realize I've been closing my eyes. When I open them, I've been pushed back so far my heels rest against the front step. In front of me, the door is open and a shadowed figure stands in the threshold. Who? Who are you? I whisper. The figure pulls something from behind its back and raises its hand up above the doorframe. There's a soft squeaking sound and then blazing white light ignites the porch. In front of me, silhouetted by the light above him, a man stands in my doorway. He's average height and average size. Even his blue Oxford and jeans are average. His smile, though. Who I am isn't as important as why I am here, he says. His voice is a smooth baritone, but there's also a higher note, like someone is sucking helium and talking at the same time. Why you're here, I... I don't understand. Nor should you, he laughs. I haven't told you yet. There's a barrage of barking behind him. He turns to look across the street, and for a split second I feel a bit of courage seep into old bones. I lunge for the door and push it closed. The deadbolt snaps closed in my fingers, and I push my back to the door for good measure. I'm going to call the cops, buddy! I yell through the door. And how will you do that, Mr. Vanderson? Your phone is in the kitchen, and your back is on the door, he says. 
And if you go to get it, who's going to stop me from paying a visit to... There's a pause. Click, click, scratch. Mrs. Vanderson, he laughs. My blood turns to ice. I'm running up the stairs, actually running. I haven't moved this fast in 20 years. I make it to the top step and my lungs feel like they're going to burst through my chest. I turn the corner and rush into our bedroom. Odetta is lying in bed. The sheets pulled up over her head. Stay there, I yell. You hear me, woman? Do not go downstairs. She doesn't move as I run to the window. Click, click, scratch. There's some idiot downstairs trying to break in, I say. Call the cops, will ya? I'm going to see if he's still out there. I put both hands on the curtains and ready myself to open them. My hands shake. She's dead. Odetta, you hear me? I turn. She's still under the sheets. Oh, shit. Will you get off your ass and call the cops? She doesn't move. Can't depend on a woman in a firefight, I grumble. Click, click, scratch. I fling open the curtains and immediately clutch my chest. My heart stops for what feels like an eternity. Sweat forms on my brow and drops into my eyes. No! I gasp. Click, click, scratch. Outside the window, the man stands, tapping on the glass with perfectly groomed nails. Click, click, scratch. I want to live here, he says with a smile that distorts his face. This is my house now. I pull the curtains shut again, but before I do, the man tilts his head to the side as if he's studying me and winks one blue eye. Click, click, scratch. I rush over to Odetta's side of the bed and dial 911. I tell the operator there's someone outside my house and hang up. I reach over and pat her shoulder. She doesn't move. It's okay, he's gone. I lie. With shaking hands, I start to pull the sheet back. Gray hair feathers out onto the pillow. Odetta? I pull the sheet to her shoulder. Her eyes are closed. There's a small smile on her face and her head is twisted around opposite her body. Gnarled and broken arms curl up under her pillow as two droplets of blood fall from the corner of her eye. Click, click, scratch. Oh, shit. So he, um, he's got some serious voodoo powers, man. Oh, yeah. So that's how he got the house. Interesting. Yeah. You know, every uh, time we make a step forward in the timeline, we have to go back and kind of mm-hmm. get a step to, to bring it all home, but we're, yeah. we're learning a little bit more. I'm glad he made an appearance this episode. I was worried he wasn't going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Can't be our Randall Flag and not fucking show up <laughs> in one of the parts, you know? At some point, I think I'm going to listen to all these and make notes. <laughs> well, you know, like... Yeah. Every time we're gonna record the next one, the previous one is gonna be out, probably. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it won't it won't be hard. You can definitely go back and listen to the first one. I'm I'm able to make connections because I gotta listen to this like two times before yeah. it gets. Yeah, and I think online. if I have like a couple quick notes, that also helps the introduction. Yeah, uh, and then it helps people stay on board because then we know what we're talking about. Instead of saying, so maybe we oh, should her, do a, maybe we should do a recap in yeah. episode three. Yeah. Just go quickly back through the letters. You know, it'll also be a memory test. Like, well, what happened in that part? Mm. You know, A is for Alzheimer's. Cal visits Cal Senior. 
you, you know, uh, his dad has Alzheimer's, talks about yeah, his, find out his, about brother, brother, his brother, his brother really poisoning people in the town. Yeah. And um, he's late for dinner. B is for breaking. We find out that this guy is at the Vanderson's house, but he's yeah. not the Vanderson kills Derek. C is for cremation. It's the girl who works at the funeral home, but there's weird shit going on at the funeral home. D is for dog houses. There's weird shit happening across the street, which is Derek's parents and his little sister. And there's someone in his doghouse. E is for Ezekiel is the man first showing up at the church and fucking around with the priest. F is for feet is the, the same man showing up at a bar, maybe even later that night, and fucking around with the cops in town, making them kind of spooked. Yeah. And then we got to the beginning of this episode. G is for ground luminous. There's weird there's a weird monster in the funeral home, apparently. Yeah. Um, and it killed the husband, the Reynolds uh Husband, uh, Mr. Yeah. Reynolds. It killed Mr. Reynolds. Well, H is for yeah, humorous. Yeah, yeah. Was uh, it was talking about the bone? We yeah. find out that uh, there was a house off property, some old house, um, some cabin in the middle of the woods, where evidently this this freaky guy had been living um, when he was targeting this city and kind of planning things out. And he had captured a pregnant woman and put her in the attic. Yeah. And um, they kind of like saw him, or maybe they saw. The monster, whatever, but they saw something. Um, Eyes for In is the story of the pregnant woman uh, eventually ending up in that house, I bet, because she is having uh, a a baby from an affair, you know, an out-of-wedlock child with Cal, who is the son of A is for Alzheimer's. If not a a demon. Maybe a demon baby, yeah, Spawn. You know, uh, Rosemary's Rosemary's baby. Yeah, he's the only uh, human... That this baby could have been a thing, but like a demon could have been placed inside of her at any time. It just sure. kind of matches up time wise. Sure. Uh, yeah, it that's makes, a lot it of makes thought. the most sense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> J is for Junior. Uh, we yeah we we find out about A is for Alzheimer's dad senior Cal senior and having, having two twins. children, but yeah. one of them is a girl named Greta who we haven't met yet. Um, or maybe we have. If they got their like name changed, or if it's like a well, no, if, you know, if it's, hand or something, if it's like the monster, oh, perhaps yeah, you know, maybe. like oh, that's true. Um, yeah. I, another long shot, but sure, worth the stab in the dark though. And then uh, H I J K K was uh, uh, the house in keg. It was the yeah, it was keg. the party, and uh, I kept I kept wanting to say Caitlin, and I was like, that's definitely that's, not it. But that still helps. Yeah, yeah. So they're twin twin girls that yep. go to the same school as Derek, Chad, um, and Stephen apparently. And um, the house is now burned down, and the pregnant woman is apparently still there. Maybe already had the child, but is kind yeah. of just there and gone crazy. And and we think this is what takes place before Doghouse. Um, and we think she ends up, she escapes the house and ends up in Doghouse. Mm-hmm. And um, evidently something had happened in this house to make it be lit on fire in between Yeah, this... H is for humorous yep. and K is for keg, which I'm hoping we get to at some fucking point. And, um, and then we just ended... Or no And then we just ended with um, L is for limb. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, it's it's the prequel to Breakin. So this is the um, the man's first thing in town. Maybe um, he he's moving from outsider house to to closer to target house, which something is going on. Yeah, with that, I think with that neighborhood. 
in my in my rationale, I'm saying either the bar scene happened first or this scene happened first. Sure. Like that was sure. the first thing in town is like, you know, okay, the first thing in and again, this might be me looking at it from my perspective is I'm in a random town, the first thing I'm gonna do is find the bar. I'm sure there might be days we're missing that we're just not thinking about. Like there are yeah, um, yeah. there was this thing that happened in Baraska and just to get off topic for a little bit, um there was this thing that happened in Baraska where, like, a character said, like, a really insignificant line, and then, like, 80 pages later, it turns out to be, like, the key to understanding, like, the entire fucking story, and we just didn't think about it. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting that, like, you know, the timeline might already be there. Like, the first thing he might have done was, you know, walk into town, go to church, immediately go to the bar, fuck around with the police, yeah. and then end up at the Vandersons' house that night, you know, after murdering the fucking dentist or whatever. So, like, there's a ton of shit that could have happened. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, I think it's rather insignificant because they're still going... We understand what he's doing. There's still something happening. Yeah, like, like... We don't know where the rise or the fall of the action is yet, but it's... Something transpired, like... Maybe they raised something or, you know, maybe like a demon was brought out of the fire and now it's in the town and he's kind of like the harbinger of this process, like a horseman of sorts, yeah, like a I, demon. I think if it wasn't as open-ended as maybe it was. Maybe it's demon and antichrist. Yeah, maybe, yeah. If we really want to get religious because, with it. Because we were talking about... for Ezekiel. Yeah. Shit. Uh, we were also talking about, well, this guy's the information gatherer and that is the, the one that's... You know, um, taking out the actions. Sure. Yeah. Um, sure. I, I don't think, if it wasn't as open-ended as it was, it wouldn't be as intriguing to me. Like, I like going through the story saying, what can I predict? What is absolute bullshit? What is, like, me shooting from the hip and going totally. north instead of south? Like, you know, what do I, what can I actually understand preemptively? Oh, I did just remember the old man Mackie who owned the old cabin off property but went missing. Um, old man Mackie was in the church service and E is for Ezekiel and he is really old. So maybe this guy just goes from old person house like easy target to easy target to kind of yeah, just get closer, yeah. to, closer to his targets. That's definitely know. a thing. Um, whatever's happening in the Reynolds neighborhood, like Derek's neighborhood is not the same thing that happened in, like, what happened at Mackie's house. Like, they're two different events, but I know that they... They correspond. They and have they something even, to do with each yeah, other. Yeah, they said the pictures in the, the cabin were of that street. Yeah, were, yeah. Of, were of the Reynolds street, yeah. Um, it's fun, and I know, and I know, like... You're the type of person who's trying to, like, Westworld Game of Thrones this yeah. shit. Try to put the pieces I, together to hopefully, you know... Actually, I was talking about that uh, earlier today. And it, like, brought it up in my mind. Uh, uh, you know, obviously I watch Game of Thrones. Most most people in, in uh, my... I am the target market for that type of show. Shame. Dragon, dragons are the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, man. Well, technically, um, they're wyverns. So... <laughs> Uh, in the book, every single chapter you change the perspective of. Yeah. S 
and th- that's very similar to what's going on here. Like oh, every absolutely. single chapter is a we different We just don't area. have, you know, an entire chapter of some old fuck talking about a family crest. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same. It operates the same kind of nonlinear narrative where multiple characters are kind of just shedding their light on things that are happening. Now, granted, the time frame is not as broken there or not as expanded, yeah. but I think um, I think you nailed it on the head when you said it's going to end up being either Stephen King or M Night Shyamalan because yeah. that's exactly what it's riding the line up right yep. now. Could it go Rosemary's Baby kind of Stephen King carry ish and be really cool, or is it going to kind of flop and fold in on itself with no <laughs> real with yeah. no real lines being drawn and just being like, well, that is that was a demon and that's the end. <laughs> like, yeah. like no the, answers. Just, the demon is actually a clown. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a fun joke because yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was it with yeah. Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, that. Stephen. Well, he was on cocaine, so he's <laughs> he was on coke, so he gets a he gets a pass on it um and then all the kids fucked in the sewers <laughs> no let's not let's not get it so how do you feel about abc's so far um i'm really liking it i i definitely really liked it after the first episode but i was much more hesitant to say that i was liking it after the first episode i was like this is definitely something that is intriguing me it's definitely something that i'm into is it gonna go a way that i want it to we'll see uh, after this week, I'm definitely like, yeah, this is like, uh, it's it's pretty Something well put we together. Can continue to, to yeah feed into, bite into. I'm definitely I'm definitely hardcore. Uh, whatever happens at the hardcore. ending happens at the ending, but um, but I'm we're in there. It. I'm we're in there it to for the ride. Yep. Yeah. Now now it's just a matter of putting the rest of the timeline together. So yeah, it, let's do. M N O P Q R S next time. Let's try to do like seven and then yeah. leave leave the back end for the final episode. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the next goal. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see you in a couple episodes before we do that. Um this was Lots of Pasta, episode 120, with Where Am I? Where am I? Where am I? And uh we hope all of you spooky dudes and dudettes out there enjoyed this uh, this fucking Chief Keef sponsored episode. Hell yeah. It's past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> fucking yawning in the middle of the story. I, dude, I'm sorry, man. I know <laughs> we're adults. Yeah, it's fine. I get up at like 6.30 in the morning to wake up. Like, I'm on a biological schedule. Like, I here, should be in bed right I'm now. I'm over here at 11.40 reading <laughs> fucking stories for my friend on a podcast. I'm allowed to yawn. That's something Frowns would have said. You know? Fair enough. Frowns is recording an episode at 1 o'clock in the morning, and he's like, I'm tired! <laughs> so, so, um, quick story about work. I was, I was walking around the dealership, and there was, there's this kid, uh, and he's, he's a young kid, and he likes anime and plays a lot of video games. So I'm like, cool, man, like, cool, fist bump, yeah. <laughs> and the one day, I'm like, yo, what, what are we doing today, man? He was like, I don't know. Shouldn't you, uh, I like yawned or some shit. It was early in the morning. He was like, shouldn't you be, like, energetic and, and you know, ready to go? I looked at him like, well, if you can pay for me to be energetic and ready to go, I'd be more than willing to smell some of that. <laughs> Sure. And he just didn't get the joke, and I was like, I'm a car salesman making a joke about wanting cocaine. 
Come on, man. It's not that hard. How old is this kid? Uh, I think he can go to bars, but he's not older than like 22. So he should know about cocaine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even if he's never tried it before, he should know what it is. Like, kid works a full-time... Or, I'm just laughing. The guy we, works we, a full-time we, job. We've both done an abundance of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm at the end. <laughs>